0: What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, saints and inks, and welcome to the Lactic Acid Podcast. I am your host, Dominic Smith. I wanna thank you all so much for tuning in and listening in, and I know that you're gonna enjoy the episode that you're about to listen to. I got a chance to talk with my friend and one of the most talented people I've met, Ms. Emma Zimmerman. She is the host of the Social Sport Podcast, a part of the Sidious Network, um, a podcast. She is an award-winning writer, and she is one of the deepest and brightest minds in Brooklyn and just in the United States in general. We had a great conversation. We talked about our time, a part of, a part of the Magic Boost program, that is. And we got a chance to share some funny stories. We got a chance to talk about the things we learned. We talked about the pressures of social media. Um, her passion for social change in the sport. Um, she was so kind to mention and talk about her time as a college athlete. And then we had some pretty fun rapid fire questions at the end. It is an episode that I know you guys are going to enjoy. And I am so thankful again that you tune in. But I need you to do me a favor. Before you listen to this or after you listen to this, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple. That's Lactic Acid with Dominique Smith. And then when you're done, go to YouTube and subscribe to the Lactic Acid page. There's a few videos, including our first interview with Adair Leiden. You're going to enjoy that. And then guess what? The website's finally out. LacticAcidPodcast.org is out. It's going to have all the latest episodes, links to those, the social media feeds. And if you want to, it is Lactic Acid Pod. Um, I'm sorry, lactic acid underscore pod on Twitter, and then on Instagram it's lactic acid pod. Please subscribe, please follow, please like. I want to thank you again for your support, and you're going to enjoy this episode. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, saints and aints, and welcome to another episode of lactic acid, the podcast where the takes are fresh, the ideas are ripe, which makes us the best in a bunch. I am your host, Dominique Smith. And today, I cannot tell you how excited I am to present to you one of the coolest people that I've met in my entire life. And I have to say this, this is episode two with a guest three overall. And so I have to give a shout out to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, because this early on, I can say I have an award winning writer on the podcast, one of the best minds in Brooklyn, in the United States, when it comes to track social change and endurance running. And like I said, she won an award for her writing. She is none other than my friend, Miss Emma Zimmerman. Emma, what's going on? I appreciate you coming on the show.
1: Um, I don't even know what to say with that intro. That was like, that was so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be it's here.
0: Facts. And again, congratulations. You won an award. I forgot. I am so sorry. It's written somewhere. It's some, I believe it's on, if it's not on Instagram, Instagram lets you edit stuff. So I will, well, kind of, but I will put the specific link. Um, But I am so happy and proud of you. Like, like I said, Emma is a big deal and you're going to see why in the entirety of this episode, trust me. Um, But I have to ask you a question that I pretty much ask Mm -hmm. everyone when they first come on. If you had to pick a superhero to describe who you are as a writer or who you were as an athlete, who would you choose?
1: Whoa. Okay. So I feel like, like, I don't know many superheroes, okay. which is a problem. I should like the only superhero that's a woman that comes to mind is like wonder woman, you know, like, so okay. so like, what else would I say? You know, like, I don't know. Give me a few superheroes. Who can I choose from? Okay. I feel like I should know more superheroes.
0: No, no, no. So let's change it up a little bit. Let's change it up a little bit. Okay. Okay. What about a character from a book? I know you read mm. a lot of books.
1: I read a lot of books yes. Oh ma'am. And now you're like starting to see my issues with like decision fatigue and <laughs> that like how hard it is for me to answer like inconsequential questions cuz now I'm like there are so many books. Okay. Um, wanna,
0: we can No, no, I got this.
1: I got this. Um <laughs> I can do it. So I feel like the book that I often go to is um, I'm completely, you know what? No. Okay. I've been, I've been watching the series with my roommate, the babysitters club, which is based off of like the children's book, the babysitters club. And I see myself in so many of those children. And I think part of it is because I'm like 11 years old at heart. Um, But they're all like so intelligent and they're written in such a funny way. Like they're so artistic and so smart and And uh, such great leaders, but also have all all these like real human conflicts, like adults. And so, I don't know, maybe it's a strange answer, but I feel like I would choose like Christy from the Babysitter's Club (laughs) or something. Okay.
0: Well, Christy, I don't know who you are, but we give you a shout out because you have a new fan that feels like uh, that you would choose. What is it about Christy that you think you, uh, I guess that you're similar in a way? To the question, of course.
1: Well, I think part is that, like, I'm, I'm eleven years old in many okay. ways. Um, the other part is that uh, she's a really great leader, um, which can sometimes, and I'm very passionate. Um, sometimes, in a way that can be a bit of a downfall. Um, I think, yeah, she's she's a boss. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> That's about it.
0: I like that answer. I like that Thank answer. You. I'm not going to so I'm going to read it, but I'm going to take your word for it because I trust you. Uh, I don't think
1: you need to read it, but yeah.
0: <laughs> plans on doing it. Um, but I do appreciate that answer and appreciate the explanation. Like I said, Emma is a big deal, ladies and gentlemen, in Brooklyn and across the United States, not only an award-winning author, I'm sorry, writer, I can imagine soon to be author, uh, currently at NYU, um, getting your MFA in creative nonfiction. Is it creative or non creative
1: nonfiction? You got it. Yeah.
0: Creative nonfiction. Sorry, it's been a hot minute. Um, and then getting to her podcast, which I encourage, and we'll talk about that later uh, the social sport podcast, a part of the Sidious Magazine podcast family um she does a lot of things but emma and i actually met physically we met like in august so that was a couple months ago but we first met back in the day in may um and back in the day means like six months ago or seven months ago <laughs> um or j- the monks just they kind of run together okay.
1: we've aged so much in six yeah. months uh, so much.
0: You know, as the fossil that I am, you know, they're very things I remember. I don't even remember what I have for breakfast this morning, but uh, we met in this program called Magic Boost. I am going to butcher this, which is why if you keep listening to this podcast, at some point we're going to have, well, Chris Chavez um, is going to be on the show at some point. So he, I'll have him explain the origins, but it was a program for, um, emerging track and field content creators, storytellers, journalists, photographers, videographers, graphic designers, X, Y, and Z. Um, It was a group of 16 of us. It was an extensive training, and essentially it was to change the mold of coverage in this great sport of track and field. And uh, I was blessed to be a part of it, got a chance to meet some incredible people. Emma was one of them um we went through extensive training for eight weeks via zoom um and then we got a chance to meet up at the university of oregon for the nike prefontaine classic and cover one of the biggest meets and get a chance to do some behind the scenes some great work like i said you'll get the full scope of it in another episode but uh, just kind of piggybacking you know off the Magic Boost theme what was that program you know like for you now that we're a few months out?
1: Yeah I mean it was it was a privilege to be a part of it to be selected to be part of it but I think what was most important to me was the people I met through it just all of you Dom like you were all the most incredible people and I just felt honored to be with you all in this program, and everyone was just so passionate about what they were doing. I don't know if I've been in a space with so many passionate, talented people, um, just so many different backgrounds, but all who are passionate about telling stories around track and field in a different way. Um, And I also think that the many people who helped us along with this program, those who led the program and the many media professionals that they brought in to talk to us, that was a treat to work with all of them and to have feedback from all of them. Uh, as someone who's starting out in a field, it means the world to hear positive feedback from someone who, who is, has been outstanding in this field, who's been an outstanding journalist or writer for so long and to hear, you know, that they listen to your podcast and uh, et cetera. So yeah, all around just a really great experience, but I think the most important Uh, most fulfilling part of it was meeting all of you and being inspired by all of your passion.
0: You know, it's funny. Just I've been fortunate and been blessed to go to different conferences before, nothing like uh, Magic Boost, but I was telling someone it's rare that you get a group of passionate people who actually is they're not in it just for themselves but just the empowerment mm-hmm. of others around them that's one thing you know I, I did not expect because you look at the world today it just doesn't happen like you know we were ha- able to have conversations we were able to collab on uh, collab on different projects different stories and 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 stuff like that that was one thing that i was certainly surprised over um and then another thing that, and specifically in meeting you one thing that really challenged me and helped me was you were great and and i want to get into that critical thinking and i always thought i was a pretty decent critical thinker but like for example emma from what i imagine and it shows up in your writing and it shows up in your questions like let's take coffee for example you don't want to know why okay is it black coffee and it's like yeah well, yeah. <laughs> uh, major coffee drinker. Um, not me, her, I hate coffee. Um, I yeah, I hate it. Sorry. But anyway, you don't want to know, like, okay, where did the coffee come from? You want to know where did the coffee bean come from? Who picked the coffee bean? Why is the coffee bean black? Why is this this the way it is? And that is something that for me personally, and just our you know brief conversations, it really opened my mind. Like, wow, there was you know certain projects that you you and I were talking about out there that you were you know hoping to work on, and I hope you're still working on. That it was just like, okay, I need to kind of <laughs> reevaluate how I do things. Where did that curiosity come from? Where you're concerned, just the willingness and the want to know more, like the most.
1: Mm, well, first of all thank you. Uh, that's one of the best compliments I've ever gotten. That was incredibly kind. And also thank you for letting me be three minutes late to this podcast. So I could literally make coffee. And that was a really great metaphor for me. Um, true story, but yeah, that curiosity, I think it's interesting to think about where that, that comes from. Cause I think we can ask so many questions about like nature versus nurture I do think that I'm so lucky to have an incredible family that really nurtured that curiosity from a young age. Um, And I'm really close with my extended family, my my grandparents, and I was just always surrounded by really incredible, wise, curious people from my grandparents to my parents. And uh, I think that they just really allowed me to be curious and they really fostered curiosity I had in everything. And they really, you know, I was a big nerd from an early age and they really allowed me to, yeah, read all the books <laughs> that you want, ask all the questions. And so I think that's probably the main point that it's come from. And uh, I think that I just see the world sometimes, I mean, I think for better or for worse, I think sometimes it's not always a good thing. It can be overwhelming and maybe sometimes limiting even, but I do see it from a lens of Where does the inequity lie here and how do we fix it? And what is the underlying system at play here? I'm kind of always looking through at the world through a social justice lens. Um, And I guess I have a hard time discerning where exactly that comes from, except for the fact that it's always been welcomed by the people around me for the most part. And it's always been um, celebrated by my family
0: i always thought that you should like you should have an honorary phd because you sound like a doctor like dr zimmerman because <laughs> that's how sometimes it feels like when like if we're having a conversation or listen to the podcast i was like oh my gosh like nyu needs to like give this girl her uh, honorary phds just or just start putting it in there i mean dr dre does it i don't see why you can't do it <laughs>
1: i mean i i've thought about going the phd route but I don't know. Like I love, and this is part of a thing. It's like, I get, I don't like being told what to do, you know, and academia yeah. is so restrained by these institutions and academic writing is, is there are so many institutions involved in it and so many specific ways of doing things. And, and I just don't have an interest in being told a specific way to do things that seems really arbitrary to me. Yeah, listen. So I've thought about getting my PhD, but, um, I don't know. We'll see. Jury's still out.
0: Well, listen, Emma almost made me think about considering almost getting my MFA until I saw the price tag. What off. do
1: you mean consider? Well, you have to go to a funded program,
0: Dom. I I, I know. I know. It's it, it's still in the works. I didn't listen. Everything we talked about as far as uh, creative nonfiction, Emma like like I said in the intro, she is um, getting her MFA in creative nonfiction writing. I actually have my minor. Um, in creative nonfiction writing. And listen, she made a great pitch that I still think about <laughs> um, essentially. But yeah, I have to, as she said, I have to go to a funded program. So if you want to, uh, anyone listening want to sponsor that, <laughs> uh, go ahead and, and feel free. And we're going to get to the social injustice aspect of it uh, coming up. But how did your time at Magic Booth? Whether it was learning through Zoom or going in person and getting a chance to talk to people, getting a chance to see things out in Eugene. How did that help you enhance your skill set of critical thinking? Mm.
1: I think that one big barrier to me often is worrying about how I'll be perceived. And worrying about, you know, there's a big piece of imposter syndrome, and we can unpack like the gender dynamic of that, and you know, maybe the age dynamic, there's a big race dynamic to that generally. But, uh, I think that, you know, it's, uh, and sorry, there's some loud noises going on outside this my window. Hard. I live in New York. <laughs> um, I think that. Yeah, I think a big impediment to me often is worrying about how I'll be perceived. And I don't enjoy that. I don't like that about myself, but it's reality. And I think that most people worry about how they'll be perceived. And I think that can be an impediment to my creative work. And I also um worry about taking up too much space or you know, considering myself more important than I am and um or doing things in a way that won't be welcomed. And in the magic boost program, all of our quirks and our unique ways of telling stories were celebrated. And um, it was celebrated that I thought uh, the press conference format was bogus. Uh, you know, the, the journalists who were in charge of Mag- Magic Boost thought that was great. <laughs> they celebrated that. Um, just like the unique ways people were using media today, our group of young journalists, it was all celebrated. And we were all doing such unique things. And we were all allowed to be ourselves. And we didn't need to fit into some box of what a sports journalist would look like. And, you know, for me, I'm, I wasn't really interested in telling stories about what was happening on the track. I'm more interested in telling the stories about how this relates to a larger context of social justice of, you know, different dynamics related to inequity and, um, et cetera. And that was okay. In fact, that was great. And, however anyone else wanted to do their media, that was great. And yeah, and so this was a winding way to to get to the point that it taught me that it's okay to be yourself. And uh, I think it just made me more confident in the fact that it is okay to be myself. And that's not an impediment to my career.
0: No. How do we push past that? Obviously, you you eloquently you know spoke on what you learned at Magic Boost, but like you said, that's an issue that everyone has, especially when you're writing about such serious topics, when you're discussing serious topics, when you're researching serious topics, and you know I think and you can you know chime in on this if you'd like. I think social media is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, recently I just did a a, a video with with, with someone. And they were, you know, asking me questions and it was weird on the comments. Half of them were like, oh, I love this. And then the other half like this is the stupidest stuff I've ever like heard in my entire life and stuff like that. And so I think especially now and day that the landscape has changed, you have to use social media to promote stuff like that, which opens you up to it opens up Pandora's box. So how do we push past that? in just a general sense, in your opinion?
1: It's so hard. I don't know if I have the answer. And that's such a great question. It's something I think about all the time. And in fact, I think too often my answer is that I don't. You know, I'm I'm not a huge social media person. Sometimes I see it as a thing I have to do. You know, I have a Instagram page for social sport. I'm sure I could be better at it. I, you know, don't post that much on my personal feed, but sometimes I feel like I need to post more. And, um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I think that part, a lot of times my response is that I try to not engage with it out of fear, maybe because I just, I don't enjoy the comparative aspect of social media or many things about social media, but in reality, I mean, it should be that we just don't care at all and do whatever we want in social media or other contexts, as long as it isn't harming anyone or ourself, of course. Um, but yeah, I think, man, I think it can also start at a young age, like teaching people that they are enough and instilling love for ourselves and others. Um, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to navigate.
0: Yeah, it's because it's like uh, if I post this, like I just work like 100 hours on this sleepless nights and I post it for only two people to look at it. So you, you worry about that. And then it's like, OK, but what if they don't like it and stuff mm-hmm. like that? And and sometimes obviously constructive criticism is great and you have to manage where you take in your information from, where you're taking your criticism You know, what are you allowing yourself to accept? You know, someone said, you know, and I think it was Magic Boost. And of course, I don't have my notepad um, with me. But it it was something that I believe it was Lewis Johnson said, and I'm Mm -hmm. paraphrasing, if the criticism makes you better, then take it and stuff like that. And so you, you want that response. You want that engagement. But like you said, it's, you know, certain people just love to be miserable and love to make other people miserable because they are miserable for whatever reason. And sometimes that brings on insecurities on the people who are, you know, producing stuff and exposing, you know, truths and, and really just, you do a great job of it. And it's kind of what we aim to do as journalists is we're not trying to be the story. We're just trying to share the story essentially mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, that is, that is a, a, a tough bounce to well, act. With. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Well, I think on that piece on criticism and so much easier said than done, but sometimes it's helpful and granted, I don't get a ton of criticism. I don't have a, a big enough platform to get a ton of criticism. And I totally feel for people who do. That's part of why social media terrifies me. But I also think that you need to think about where that criticism comes from, and maybe what that person is hiding me be- from, hiding behind. And a lot of times, that is a lack of self love, and you know, something that makes that person who's giving you a you know saying a negative thing about your work uh, that's making them feel insecure in themselves. Actually, uh, David Roach and Megan Roach, they're pretty big in the trail running world, but I'm actually coached by David Roach and he has, they have a podcast called swap some work I'll play. And they talked all about this on last week's episode. So I have to shout out to them because they're amazing. Um, But they talked about kind of like the idea of love and everything coming from a lack of, you know, when you see those negative comments, I'm not going to say this as eloquently as, as they did, but Often it just comes from a lack of self-love, and trying to understand that will help us better navigate those critiques and those negative words.
0: Okay, I have to check that out. If you, well, you heard Emma, you better go check it out. Check this out first, but then I'll, I'll send
1: I'll, it to you. Yeah,
0: do <laughs> please do because it's something I want to listen to uh, to hear a point of view. So let's wrap up the magic boost phenomenon that it truly was. What was your favorite moment from the entire program? One via Zoom, one at Eugene. Favorite or funniest
1: moment? Favorite moment from the entire program.
0: Or funniest.
1: Funniest. Well, we had so much fun after the Prefontaine Classic. All of us, you know, went out for a great dinner and that was just so much fun. But I do, I think I have to cite the interview, um, that T did with Shakari Richardson.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's not funny. It was just such a, I mean, this woman was bombarded by the press at the press conference. And if people haven't watched the interview that our friend T did, you should, um, she kind of hung back and waited for the press to kind of filter out. It was very obvious that Shakari did not want to engage that much with these same questions that were being asked of her uh, after the trials and after everything that went down with her. uh, And he kind of stuck around and then just started asking her some really human questions, some really relatable questions about what it means uh, to be a Black woman from Texas and what uh, point of view that gives her in track and field, what she wants to see change in track and field. And Uh, Shakari Richardson really engaged with that and wanted to talk about that. And I thought it was just so cool to see someone in our program, a young person, our age, doing such great journalism and getting to an athlete in a real human way, uh, in a way that no one else in that room was able to. Um, So that to me was a really powerful moment. I think that was a moment that I'll always remember. Um, Yeah.
0: That I was... (laughs) I was standing there if I'm not mistaken if I'm not mistaken I don't know where so T was like in the front so I was in the middle mm-hmm. it, it, it was so funny how how in that were you there in the uh, mix zone
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: because there were like a thousand there was a group of like it, it felt like 500 but obviously just Sir, that- this was
1: at the press conference right
0: I'm talking or the- about Oh, the
1: mix zone. The mix no, no, no. Okay. okay. Yeah.
0: The press conference. Yes. I did not. I very, so that press conference was weird. Um, I appreciate the guy letting us, you know, he gave us a shout out. I forgot his name guy. If you're watching this, I'm so sorry. Um, I forgot your name, but yeah. Cause I remember you asked the first question and then someone else asked the question and T did. She started it off by, you know, black woman from, you know, Texas. And, you know, Shakira was, was, you know, really hyped for that. But w- when it came to the mix zone, if I'm not mistaken, I think T was the first one to get her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sha'Carri jumped to just this media mass of them asking all these questions. And she did not want to answer those questions. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think maybe Nike or somebody made her go back because she skipped the mix zone. And uh mm-hmm. She she did a phenomenal job, uh, Tiara Williams, um, and, and definitely go watch. We're gonna talk about social sport, but Emma did an incredible interview, um, with hers. So please be sure to watch that. Um, so that was great to see her kind of break the mold and you know get her comfortable. I remember, um, it, it's so weird because. <laughs> some of the athletes I didn't know how the athletes would be and everything and so it was kind of intimidating and I remember I was I was in a coffee shop uh I think you were there we were at it was right after the press conference
1: oh I hope you're going to talk about what I want you to talk about continue
0: okay and you were with I believe it was Hannah yeah Yeah. so I feel like we may tell two different stories so okay what do you think I'm going to say
1: I think you're going to talk about how there's an athlete there. I'm forgetting who it was, who is sitting with his mother. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) No, tell me, tell me what you're going to tell. And then I'll tell you my perspective
0: on it. It was Noah Lyles. And I really, because we were, you know, we, if we wanted to interview someone, we had to let, you know, the staff know, like, Hey, we, we, you know, we want to talk to these people, but, um, Noah really wasn't trying to talk he was not, you know, wanting to talk to the media or whatever, from what I understood. And so I saw him, <laughs> he was an all white. And so Emma and Hannah were on the outside, you know, doing their thing, drinking their nasty coffee and, and online and stuff. And I'm inside with a gentleman. He's the best photographer in the world. And you can debate your mom on that one. His name is Johnny Zang and Nikki Merrill. Um, who was a runner for um, Villanova? And check out her her page on the blog on the run blog. I'm sorry, um, I think it's off track. Or something. Yeah. Oh, god. off the track. Oh, my bad, Nikki. Something, yeah, off the track. I, we we'll get to that later. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> I have to go and Link it up. Yeah, well, you're gonna follow some random person. And, and you we should, but we want you to follow her too. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh my god, that's that's Noah Lyles. I was like, who is that? That's his mama. And I was like, and they were saying, go, go. So, what I did was, I walked outside and I hid behind Emma and him. I was like, oh God, that's no loss. I can't do this. I can't do this. And they were like, okay. I don't remember exactly what was said. Eventually, his mom left. Noah's sitting here just by himself uh, with this girl who happened to be his sister. And they were like you need to go you need to go and I was like fine don't tell me what to do I'm going and I went and we had a conversation he was nice enough because I did not want to ask questions about what I wanted to ask questions about and it was sincere I wanted to know more about anime and for about 15 to 20 minutes we talked anime he his sister myself and then his mom as well so that was that was my moment. I remember uh, Nikki and and uh, Johnny were like, oh, my God, we felt like, you know, we're pushing like you need to go. And they were watching me through the window, making sure that and back out of it. So uh, I want to so, hear your perspective on that.
1: Well, so so here's the thing, Dom. And this is when I'm saying that I learned so much from the other young journalists who are in Eugene, who are at this program is because. You know, I gotten to know you a little bit, and I, of course, already thought you were the coolest, nicest. And, um, but Hannah and I aren't used to that type of media because that's not the type of journalism either of us do. You know, we're more doing long form stuff. We're not trying to catch anyone off guard. We're not, you know, go. We don't need to like get things quickly at a. You know, where where, I it's just not the type of journalism we're doing at all, and we don't know much about that. And so we were sitting at this coffee shop, and you came up to us and said, "Should I go talk to Noel Isles and?" we were immediately kind of like, eh, I don't know. He's with his family. Like, well, I don't know. And, and, and then, you know, we, we see you go up. You know, I think we, you know, start, went back to our work. We weren't paying attention. We both look up and we see you just sitting with his family in a way that just seemed so natural, like your body language and everything. And I, we immediately said something to each other. Like, we just doubted Dom. We just <laughs> almost told Dom, no. And look at him. He's like a natural. He's killing it. And like, no one would have thought anything. It looked like you were just part of the family. Like you were just having a chat and, and which is great. You know, that's a great way to be a journalist. Like, that's what you want. It just seemed they were so comfortable with you. And you did it, of course, in a way that was very appropriate. I'm sure, you know, asked to sit down with them and chat. And um, yeah, and I think I, I was just like, Dom is so cool. And I feel awful that I just
0: told him no i that's the first time that's funny i i didn't that's the first time i'm hearing that um,
1: yeah i know i should have said it to you earlier but
0: uh that's that's funny um yeah it's we, we talked about anime and then we talked about there were some things that we have in common because we don't live far you know from each other and stuff like mm-hmm. that and uh, we talked about socks and it was just a genuine conversation at that point. It was just like, you know what, I'm more interested in, you know, in him and, you know, how this helps him. Maybe it could help me um, and stuff like that. Uh, and I know you can understand this with the amount of work that we have to do. We are front row members of the team, no sleep bus, struggle bus mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Or at least I am. Um and so yeah, we we were kind of talking about that, but that's funny. I didn't I didn't know yeah. you guys had. I don't know if you guys had left. I think you guys had left, whatever the case might be. And I was looking over, and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is this is crazy and everything. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, no, but I hope you know that. Like we, I we only thought that was awesome, and you are awesome. If you don't know that already, I know I've told you so many times, but I think I, you're the coolest, and I admire you a
0: lot. I sincerely <laughs> appreciate that. I, I really do. Like I gotta say it's just a big old admiration fest on this. Totally. Episode, so, but it's truly genuine. Um, so let's switch to social sport. So if anyone doesn't know, Emma has a podcast that is called social sport. It is one of the best podcasts. If you have an hour, um, and here's the thing. I don't advise you to go run while listening to this podcast. And I'll tell you why, because at least for me, there are so many times that I've listened to it so many episodes. Like when you, you just recently had a retired, uh, women's basketball coach from, I believe it was Duke. Yes. I was in here doing my little Sean tea or whatever, you know, or was about to, but I had to stop and like, go back because you, the conversations are so deep that you really need to be sitting down. And then I can tell you, cause sometimes I listen to podcasts In this case, I was on a treadmill and I almost fell off. Um, from mm. one of the episodes. Cause I was like, I need to go back to that. And, and you know, when you stop moving, that does not mean the treadmill stops moving and stuff like that. So that's just a public service announcement so that no one gets sued. Uh, for that. It's one of the best podcasts. Especially
1: not me. I don't want to be sued for that.
0: Of course not. My
1: podcast.
0: Yes. I mean, yeah, I I definitely cannot, you know, do that. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) Um, Really almost kept that story to myself because I was so embarrassed about (laughs) it, but it's so like thought provoking. Some of the questions you have and some of the guests that you have on talk to me about the origins of the podcast. How did it start? When did it start? And, um, you know, how did you, you know, come up with the idea?
1: Well, first of all, thank you, Dom. That means so much to me to hear that, it, you know, it's, you've enjoyed it so much. I, yeah. So I guess when I started social sport, I was kind of at a, a weird point in my life where I was, I just applied to grad programs. I was deciding uh, between MFA programs. And I think I felt like a little lost or unmoored in a way and that I, you know, I knew I wanted to try to be a writer. What I thought I was going to do with my life, and of course, coming from I was like 23 years old, uh, 24, um, wasn't exactly, you know, I'd, I thought I would go into po- law or policy. And I realized that I really wanted to be a writer, and I'd applied to MFA programs and was kind of struggling with uh, many things. And I also think I was struggling with my identity and in, in that running and endurance sports in general is, you know, my favorite thing, but I had struggled with tons of injuries. And also, you know, I'm not going to make a, any sort of career out of running. I was a division three athlete. Um, and, but I drowned in so much media on running. I would listen to so many running podcasts. And at the same time though, I knew that my career and what I wanted to do in the world was always connected to, social change in some way and unpacking injustices. And I didn't see much media that combined sports and social change, but I saw that there was more of an interest in it that was growing. And I, yeah, I guess I just started to see things with like Lindsey Krause's reporting on dream maternity and the Mary Kane story. I saw people caring more and realizing more that sports could be an avenue for social change. And I honestly, I feel like it happened so fast. I just had this idea in my head. Um, I was kind of in between things and I was on this like kind of freelancer outdoor writing freelancer Facebook page. And I kind of threw this idea out of, of this podcast. Um, but I think I made myself sound much more legit than I am. I think I'm actually really good at making myself sound much more legit than I am. Oh, and I, um,
0: you stop, I- you won an award. Listen, you, this is an award winning writer. Anything that she says that makes her or anything that she says in terms of her not sounding valid, y'all need to ignore that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut that out.
1: Well, oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, okay. But I, so I pitched this idea basically, you know, but, but the way I wrote it was I am starting this podcast uh, it is about the connection between endurance sports and social change, uh, and I want to speak with athletes who are using their platforms to talk about mental illness, to mm-hmm. talk about climate change, to talk about racial inequity, to talk about the the intersections between all of these things and more. Uh, do you, you know does anyone have an idea? I'm I'm booking my first interviews of who you know any contacts that would be good, any athletes that would be good, and I thought. I'm just throwing this out there. No, one's going to respond. I just kind of want to see if anyone gives me any reaction. I've done nothing to start this podcast. It was just an idea. I did not have a podcast and I had 30 messages within one day between like email and comments on the post and all people giving me names of folks I should interview. And so it was kind of like a, Oh shit, I really have to start this. Um, and I had some interview experience from like a previous job I had out of college and, but not a ton. Uh, and so I, and at the point I was actually, you know, in between things, I was living at my parents' house for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them being to save money before grad school. One of them being that I'd had quite a lot of uh, mental health struggles and I was trying to kind of get those under control before I, you know, went back to school and w- went back out, you know, and it to tackle the next steps of my life. And I'm so grateful to have amazing parents who were not only gung ho about having me live there, but in fact, were very much like, we, you should come live with us for a little bit and you don't have to work full time. You can apply to grad schools and also focus on getting your mental health under wraps. Um, but that's all a big tangent. But, but anyway, I, um, yeah, was basically living <laughs> at my parents' house. Pitched this podcast, uh, you know, did a couple interviews. This was like right before COVID happened or before we COVID put us under lockdown yeah. um, recorded in my parents' basement, and released it out into the world. And it was kind of like a, here goes nothing. Um, I'm passionate about this and I want to do it and it's gotten a response. So we'll see what happens. And that was it.
0: It's it's such a legit... Even the early episodes are just incredible. So you put this... You say you put this on Facebook, like a Facebook group or... Yeah,
1: it was like this Facebook group I was in. Um, Mostly a lot of like freelancers who do work in the outdoors are wow. in it. Yeah. That is... It's base camp for anyone. Who...
0: Base camp. okay. Yeah. The one thing that... Listen, I made it clear I I was a shot putter my only form of running was running two laps to warm up so you have these incredible athletes on the show uh just just and and there's certain things like I wouldn't think of (laughs) that's the thing that uh, impressed me trail bike riders didn't know that was a thing (laughs) Uh, and I know that you enjoy endurance running. Um, I know that you put in some serious mileage, um, when you can, of course we have time. And so it's awesome to hear. There's certain things that you can relate to, but you do such a great job. And, and I guess just the journalist in me is curious. I'm not sure any, if you have any existing relationship with some of these people that you interview, but they open up to you in such a way because they just feel so comfortable and passionate about the questions that you're asking, but their role and their purpose in being on the show. Um, has that kind of surprised you or like that people have been so open about what they're going through and their struggles and how do you find it just kind of easy for them? Maybe and maybe it's just the, the podcast. That's what I've that's what I've always thought. That they're like, okay, I can find a place. Finally, there's a place for me to express everything that I, I'm feeling. Um, so, you know, is is it, was that your goal essentially to create like a safe space, essentially for people to come and do that? I guess that's the Well, best. I,
1: yeah, I mean, I always want it to be a, a safe space and I always want people to feel comfortable telling their whole stories. And I'm sure there are pieces of people's stories that they don't tell, uh, but And I think it depends, like any journalist. Sometimes you have an interview that's better than others. That'll always happen. And sometimes people open up more than other people do. And that's okay. Uh, I I think that my goal is more thinking really critically and and allowing people to make connections between things. I think sometimes in these types of long-form interview questions, Interview conversations, we get the same types of questions over and over again, and maybe, and you know, these people that I interview, they're all doing work somehow related to some form of social change, and so they've made such deep conne- deep connections. Sorry, in order to be doing that work, they've thought deeply about how this relates to mental health, how this relates to policy, how it relates to race and gender, et cetera, et cetera, depending on what work they're doing. And so, I really want, I think. I think part of it is, you know, self-selecting. There's a willingness in my guests to go deep into that. Um, But that's also, you know, yeah, I I want them to be comfortable in making those deep connections. And I think sometimes that also translates to my guests going deeply into their own lives, which is
0: great. What are some of the things that you've learned from the guests on the show? You've already, well, I can imagine there are things that you want to see changed in the sport, not just. Obviously, this this podcast is track and field, but we're talking road racing. We're talking mm-hmm. endurance sports, trail racing, uh, triathlons and, and stuff like that. I'd imagine there there were some issues that you saw prior to. But now that you know more, what are some of the things based on the conversations that you've had, what you've read, guest on the show that you would like to see changed? Um just issues and, and different things that need to be addressed and, and that you would like to see changed.
1: Sure. Oh, man, there are so many things, so many. Uh, I think that one of them is that in, I think, the running space in maybe the sports space in general, we become more comfortable talking about environmentalism, but we become more comfortable talking about a form of environmentalism that is very whitewashed, uh, that's very tied to capitalism. And we've, we are less comfortable in talking about environmentalism as it relates to so many systems of inequity and who, in which communities uh, have to deal with the brunt of environmental damage and the brunt of climate change damage, which is communities of color, and how climate change relates to race and ethnicity and gender and socioeconomic status. Um, and I have had countless guests on this podcast who have gone deep into environmentalism and how sport connects to environmentalism, but allows us to think more deeply about how it cannot exist in a vacuum, how we have to think about environmentalism as tied to um, the struggles of Native peoples and of just various communities of color and and gender and, you know, the fact that women have done much of environmental labor for generations and generations, but are seldom paid for it. Um, and these are, I'm just going off on many different tiny tangents that (laughs) would take hours for us to go down, but, um, I've had a lot of guests who have really focused on those connections with environmentalism from Camila Jornay, who I even did a little mini series with, um to uh, Zoe Rome. um, And I talked about David Roach, ready David Roach and Grayson Murphy were on to talk about their environmental work and how they balance that with running. Um, And uh, man, I'm like, I can't even, I'm having a complete brain block right now oh guarina was just on she's incredible she's done a lot of work to talk about indigenous peoples and uh you know and connecting with the land and thinking about decolonization of the land and how that relates to environmentalism um and i'm i'm sure i'm forgetting so many people but there have been a lot of guests who've talked about that um so that's one just one topic and there's so many (laughs) others
0: you have like what is it eight eighty? Three episodes,
1: one say 81 was on the day we're, we're recording today, Monday. Uh, it's yeah, today was the 81st. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. I don't think people realize how hard that is. Just two years, <sighs> yeah. Hey, no, it's not even been two years. I think,
1: yeah, it'll be two years in March, Lord. Yeah, so a year and a half. Oh, yeah.
0: Hashtag you have in 1000. That's what we're trying to get to as far as the episode <laughs> count, especially, yeah. You were an athlete in college, mm-hmm. and it is a very difficult thing to do. Um, I don't care if you're NAIA, Division One, Division Three. I believe it was a small school in Iowa, if I'm not mistaken.
1: That's true. It was
0: okay. Perfect. Got it.
1: Grinnell College.
0: Grinnell College, and you were, I think. Let me double check. I think you know. I'm getting up there in age, and fossilization is starting to take its toll. Okay. You. <laughs> you've you earned yes numerous all conference academic honors which i don't think is is it's <laughs> it's just as difficult as it is to earn all conference honors on the track talk a little bit about your career you know as a track and field as a cross country athlete and and you talked about just kind of the mental aspect it it took and the reason i'm asking that is because i don't think College athletes get enough respect or the mass. And I I was talking with an athlete um, who will be on the show, college athlete, and he talked about it. He says some of the things that people say about, oh, it's a free ride and all that stuff, he said it kind of hurts because people don't understand the true sacrifice the physical, the mental, the emotional sacrifice it takes to consistently do that. On the collegiate level, so I just wanted to hear about you know your experience and and just kind of talk about that. Um, You know, obviously how good it was, but also the part that people don't see and the people don't understand.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that. Well, first of all, I mean, I ran Division three cross country and track at Grinnell, which is a little liberal arts school in Iowa, Uh, and I grew up on the East Coast, so going to Iowa was a weird strange and amazing experience. Um, and I was definitely not a super superstar. Uh, I, you know, Randy three, I was competitive at the division three level, but not even, you know, like I never quite qualified for nationals. I was one second from qualifying for nationals my senior year, which like ate me up, but I think, and, and the reason I say that is not to be like humble and like, I was no superstar, which I wasn't, but, uh, it's because I think it's important to say that if you're passionate about something, that's enough. Like I'm really passionate about running and sports and how they connect to social change. And I think that not being a star pro, whatever athlete yourself is a reason to not uh, use your passion for something in a career or in any way that you want to. Um, And so that's why I say that. And uh, I also say that because I think when we talk about like mental health problems that relate to athletics. We often talk about it on the highest level. Uh, we don't talk about the fact that it's across the board. And for me, yeah, I mean, just talking about my experience, I, I really struggled with my mental health as related to athletics. I struggled with an eating disorder from the time I was pretty young, uh, that was kind of reached its peak when I was in college. And a lot of that was largely tied to being a runner and, I think that's a, it's a very common story, and that I, um, you know, got slower in high school when I went through puberty and didn't understand why, and no one really told me why, and it, you know, kind of that like very common story, and I burned out, and um, then went to college, and you know, tried to, tried to get faster by eating less, and you know, doing it, you know, everything I could to cut corners, and became an addiction, and it's a it's a very common story, and so I think. Um, that I share all of that, and I share that I was a division three runner. It's still never fun to talk about, even on the other side of all of that. Um, but I think it's important that we start talking about how the problem of eating disorders in distance running is not just a thing that happens at the top of the sport, it's not just a thing that happens to the pros or the most competitive division one. And we also, I think, often, I mean, another thing that's important to talk about is we often consider eating disorders and athletics as belonging to like white small bodied women. And that is not the case at all. Um, so that's, yeah, another thing. Um, but other than that, I mean, that's a negative side of my experience, but I, at the end of the day, like have always loved running more than anything. It's like where I feel most free and, um, most happy. And I'm really happy now I've had so many injuries post-college, Um, but I'm at a point where I'm like training consistently and kind of have regained that relationship with running as like a very joyful thing so yeah
0: that is so that is a common story Um, and as a male I'm just learning that I did not know that and it's so crazy to me Um, just like I, I just never knew how do you fix that is it getting more female coaches that actually understand um, you know, body concept? Everybody's every woman's body is not the same, every man's body is not the same, every kid's body is not the same. But is it getting someone of the same sex that understands it more so? Or is it getting a nutritionalist in, or is it um maybe getting rid of some of these? you know, stock concepts that the thinner, the faster, or, or, you know, how, in your opinion, how do we fix this issue?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's not an easy fix and there are many pieces of it, but it's something that I think about quite a lot. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from really early ages and I, well, you, you mentioned women coaches, like, yes, we need coaches of like all genders. We need coaches. We need, I I think that having women coaches, women head coaches is important. Uh, But I think also talking at a younger age um, and making sure that coaches are trained on eating disorders. I think sometimes it's like treated as like, it's like shin splints, right? Like high school cross country and track coaches want to avoid shin splints at all costs. And that's like eating disorders. And I think in a way, it's kind of because of that, it's become like a don't touch this subject. And this is changing a bit. But I think that's really false. Like you need to talk about it. You need to talk about it with athletes, with young athletes. They need to understand, um, what this is. And I think also like there needs to be an understanding at an early age of how girls' athletic trajectories are really different than boys' athletic trajectories. Um, and that girls might slow down or plateau in high school and early college and, um, and that like, if they fuel themselves correctly and take care of themselves, they'll get through it, um, and be, be better for it and stronger. But if they go the opposite direction, then they'll have lots of issues down the road, um, both mental and physical. And so, yeah, I think that wasn't a very clear cut answer, but I think like addressing this very clearly, uh, with professionals as early as high school, um, and I think it. We can go even deeper. It goes into so much about culture of how sure. young girls. I'm and I'm saying young girls. Men have eating disorders too. People of all genders have eating disorders, and it's actually inconclusive whether women really have it more or if they're just diagnosed more. But that's a whole different issue. I, I think that it, there is a whole thing of, of how we, you know, treat us, especially young girls. But to like think about their bodies and their identities as athletes. And, um, yeah. And I think we need to unpack that as well, but overall young age, making changes, yeah, talking clearly about this from a young age.
0: I think that could be a huge part of the solution because if you don't feel comfortable talking about it, um, because there's no, no, there's no shame in it, especially what you don't understand. Um, you know, like I, it's been so informative for me because it was something that I really never thought about. Um, I don't know if that's because, you know, the athletes that I was around, um, never said anything or, or just maybe just ignorance on my part. It's just something I never knew. So I think Mm -hmm. having a conversation and educating, you know, you know, everybody takes a health class, you know, in high school, I didn't personally like mine um they usually
1: suck that's why
0: (laughs) yeah it's like you learn about the body and then you have to go run a mile um right so it's 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 interesting but I feel like maybe those disorders um should be included in it not to scare people but just to say hey this is out there this is how the body really works um and that's what helped me you know I took nutrition human nutrition in um college and i was like oh okay well you know you know milk builds strong bones well why and it's because this helps this and all that stuff so to your mm-hmm. point i think just starting out with a basic conversation uh will do great wonders but i have two uh sort of quick topics we're going to do yeah. um, our final uh, topic is called down the Home Stretch." but before i want to know what uh What started this love of not just running, but just the outdoors, because you hike, you run, you, you know, you go on trails, you do all this Mm. stuff. And um, literally, it gives me lactic acid, just even thinking about (laughs) just like all the endurance stuff that you're into. So that's the best better question. What started your love of endurance activity? And how, you know, have it's how has it been sustained um, till now? Like you said, your training and all that stuff um, continuously. So that's one thing I'm curious about, especially in the outdoors.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for asking. So I think uh, I mean, I keep going back to my family and I I really am lucky, but I'm also privileged in that I, I grew up in a place. I was born in New York, but then my parents moved to rural Connecticut when I was about four and um growing up in a place where i had really easy access to the outdoors and with parents who had the financial ability and uh you know all the privileges to take to take part in that you know my my parents have always really been into the outdoors my family every weekend when i was little we'd go on a hike or we'd go on a bike ride uh and um so a lot of it i think is is privilege that i was able to take part in it but and had family that valued it um, but for me, I think I've always been like a really type A person was definitely like a pretty type A anxious kid, like super (laughs) driven, super obsessive about school and like all that, uh, like common story. And I, uh, was like pretty mediocre at every sport I played. Um, like not great, but I learned that I was really fast and, uh, that I love to run. And so I would, and also I was really competitive. And so I wanted to beat like all the boys in the mile run. So I, in gym class, so I would like practice running around my neighborhood. And I think that's how I developed like the, a love of running specifically. But again, I think like having a family where that is really fostered and celebrated. And even like, if I was really stressed out when I was little, I remember my mom's always be like, "Go on to run. <laughs> like you need to go and run. run. Um, <laughs> but Yeah, so a a lot of things, but um, man, yeah, I learned at an early age that it was just where I feel the most free and the most myself. Uh, you know, in the outdoors and just running and just yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Do you think you'll end up doing any competitions, any marathons, things like that in the future?
1: Yeah, so I mentioned I I was injured for like three years after college, and I am just consistently training again. Um, and I, I, a lot of it's like getting out of my own head about like past versus current fitness. I know I'm not as fast as I, as I used to be, but like, really, like, uh, you know, a lot of, I've had to do a lot of work. Like, why does that matter? Like, that doesn't matter. You know, I'm not a pro athlete at all. Like I, you know, it, sh- it is all at the end of the day, just for the love of it. And so I'm excited to, to get into more things. I am, um, hoping to do a marathon soon. And what I really want to do is trail stuff. I love, I love the trail. So hoping to do more, like, I think the FKTs fastest known times going for like FKTs on some East coast trails would be cool. Um, because it's kind of a niche thing out here. Like it's more known in like Colorado. And I think it'd be really cool to go for some FKTs on and think about like access to trails while doing it, like trying to go for some FKTs on trails that are easily accessible via public transit from new york city um these are all just like ideas in my head but yeah I'm, I'm excited to do some races and and things like that again at some point soon
0: okay that's what's up so we are now at our final uh segment i like to call it down the home stretch i'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions i want you to answer them to the best of your ability this is interesting because you do this to other people so it's going to be fun to hear uh kind of how you react to some of these uh, questions so let's get it going if there let's was a food, if there was a food that you had to keep and the food that you had to eliminate from society and your menu which one would you keep which one would you get rid of
1: okay so easy so i don't eat meat so i would eliminate meat uh i would keep um i have like peanut butter and banana is like my comfort food in any form like peanut butter and banana and toast so, like peanut butter can i say peanut butter and bananas like together yes. is that a food item
0: we'll call it bananas how about that perfect, perfect. So we would keep bananas. <laughs> um what is the most underrated TV show and overrated TV show.
1: Mm. Mm. You were just watching The Middle, right? That's we talked about funny. this. The Middle is the most underrated TV show ever. And I think TV. it's getting more popular, but I used to watch that. Like my my family used to watch it in high school and we loved it. My parents used to call me Sue Hack, which was really offensive. Oh, that's um, what? Mean, right? Yeah, but but we love, I love that show. It's a great show. I'm happy that you watch it too overrated uh i'm gonna get some hate for this i've never quite understood Shits creek do you
0: do you watch Shits creek uh I just, I what, four episodes and took a nap so i can't do this
1: i don't get it like i don't find it that funny I, I i and like all my friends watch it and they're always like you this is your humor you'd find it hysterical um i don't get it yeah
0: yeah, that's, I, I agree. I am so happy you like the middle. I'm so sad that they go, you're nothing like Sue Heck in general. If anything, you're not even like Brick, but the part that reminds
1: <laughs> None that, of these are good. You're not going down a good
0: road. No, no, no. no. Listen, listen, listen. Okay. You, the only part that I can, that I would, as far as where Brick is concerned, his love of reading. That's it, you don't relate to any of the characters. Sue didn't make, Sue went to East Indiana State, Sue didn't even make the teams, you had to make up a team and stuff like that. So yes, 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 I'm not. Yeah,
1: gonna- no, I, they're joking, I'm not really like Sue Hack, but I think it's fun, like, you know, if you have a kid who runs cross country to, Like, there's a big cross-country element to that. You know, she always feels cross-country and she loves it. And so they, yeah, make fun of that. But thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Didn't make the team, had to make up wrestlorettes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, If there was someone that had to play you in a movie, who would be the perfect candidate? Hmm.
1: Ooh. Oh, do you know, and this is, I'm having a complete brain blink. Who, what is, She? it's like a very obvious, the actress who's the lead of Black Swan.
0: Uh, Natalie Portman.
1: Natalie Portman. I I think she's amazing. So I would love for her to to play me. Yeah.
0: Okay. If you had to have someone read to you, who would it be and what book would they read?
1: Oh, that's a very sweet question. Ooh. I, well, I guess I'll, I'll choose, I'm looking at right now, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. It's the best book I've read in 2021. It's like epic, epic book. It's about the great migration of, you know, when Black people came from the South to different places, you know, in the North, Central, Midwest in the U.S. and, and West. Um, and this woman, Isabel Wilkerson. This is not rapid fire anymore, I'm sorry, Dom. Uh, It's incredible, it's not. Yeah, (laughs) it's an incredible, incredible writer. She's narrative nonfiction. She recreates these lives on the page and we don't talk about the Great Migration uh, enough and how it's affected families. And um, it's an epic, epic book. So I I would have someone read me that book because I think it's an amazing book. who would read it to me dom you can read it to me i'd have you read it to me
0: i got you okay i got you i may get a little emotional uh especially (laughs) talk about the migration but i got you if you had we only have a couple more someone who had to narrate your life wow
1: like what does that look like like a like a podcast like they're in like (laughs) my head all the time
0: it could be anyone yeah uh let's do uh See, I don't like when journalists come on and ask me questions for stuff like that. <laughs> it me. Uh, it could be anything. It could be your podcast, it could be your day-to-day living.
1: Day-to-day living. Well, if you know one thing about me, it's that I love my grandparents more than anything in the world. It's like I they're the best people in my life and they're my favorite humans, they like helped to raise me. Uh my three grandparents are like best friends. They live in the same town in New York. Um and so if I could just have their voices with me all the time, I would I would do that.
0: I was thinking interchangeably. Yeah, that would be really sweet. Uh the love yeah. that you have for them is inspiring. I was thinking like James Earl Jones or uh, something like that. You know that very powerful Emma takes the trail and she walks Oh I like
1: that. I like that though. Yeah yeah stuff. something like really authoritative
0: exactly like a boss and everything mm. like that. okay what is the best piece of fashion advice that you have ever received
1: the best piece of fashion advice was an anti-fashion advice i was wearing like like really i only wear sensible shoes so i'm like i said i was 11 years old but i might be 80 years old um and i only wear sensible shoes and i had someone say to me i'm not gonna say who a not very nice person said to me uh you, uh you cannot be 25 years old in new york city and only wearing sensible Who's shoes there? And right, and, and I was like, well, that is wrong. And so that's the best fashion advice because it made me realize that it doesn't matter what shoes you wear. You should wear what you like and what's comfortable.
0: For those listening, obviously, if you're watching, you're seeing my shaking my head. People, okay. You know, this is a, okay. That threw me off. I can't believe somebody would actually know. not be that nice. Okay. Best vegan dish. Especially for someone not a vegan but is interested in trying different vegan food, what's the best vegan dish that you recommend or that you have made? And beans Mm. and rice don't count because everybody says that.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I. I mean, I could eat like falafel all day, but I think. You know what I'm going to, I've been really into, I'm not a big fake meat person because I, you know, haven't eaten meat since I was a little. I never crave it. I don't remember what it tastes like, but I've been really into vegan sausages lately. Um, and there's this Brooklyn, I live in Brooklyn, this this Brooklyn, I think they're, they're based, maybe they're not, they're somewhere in New York. Um... Sauce, vegan sausage company called High Peaks Sausage. And I've been trying to get them to, to sponsor social store for so long, and I think they're like, why does this girl keep emailing us? Like what? Um, and they're like a small business, like their their mission is really awesome. And, and they're like these delicious vegan sausages that are like portabella and rosemary and white bean and like really inventive flavors. So just like some inventive vegan sausage.
0: High Peaks Sausage. I need y'all to do me a favor, y'all to sponsor social sport, definitely, Uh, you can sponsor me as well, if y'all got enough, (laughs) but y'all need to sponsor her first. Last question is the most important question I'll ask you, are you ready for this one? Why Why is sport a powerful platform for social change?
1: Oh, you're throwing it back at me. Uh-huh. Well, I have a, such a long lineup of answers to to use as fuel and sources to answer that. Um, I think that sport is a powerful platform for social change for so many reasons, and I'm overwhelmed because I mean we care about it so much more than other things and and it grabs our attention. Um, and, and to so many people, it's so important. And so why not use it as a method? But I also think that movement, if you're thinking about endurance sports, is inherently a form of protest. You think about who has been allowed to move over certain places, you know, throughout time. You think about how much that varies depending on, on race and ethnicity and gender. I mean, the first woman to run a marathon was like in the recent history in recent history um and yeah it's it's insane and and i think just thinking about that like i think it was Catherine switzer run the ran the boston marathon in 1967 i might have that date wrong and then just the history of people marginalized identities like taking up space and moving on the land i think about like indigenous prayer runners uh protesting the dakota access pipeline and, and that's only a recent example um I think that sport has inherently, in movement in general, been connected with protest, and sometimes ways that we don't always talk about uh, throughout history. And it's been one of the most powerful means of of protest. Um, and and then we care about it. We care about sports. So, yeah. <laughs> That's 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 only a small a couple small reasons why there are many other reasons.
0: Listen, you will get those other reasons if you listen to the social sport podcast part of the Sidious Magazine family. Emma, can you tell the people where they can find you specifically where social sport is concerned?
1: Yeah. So, and just so people know, we're going on a couple month break from, for, we're pausing for a couple months um, and we'll be working on making social sport the best it can be in the future, but I'm taking my first like kind of long break since it started. Um, but you can listen to the whole 81 episode backlog. Uh, you could head on over to SidiousMag.com, click on the podcast tab and then click on social sport. You can see everything there. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're on Instagram at Social Sport Pod. We're also on Facebook at Social Sport Pod. Uh, I tweet about social sport. Um, I have a barely Twitter presence, but I tweet about it at Emma M Z Z I M um, M. And we have a newsletter, too socialsport.substack.com. So any of those.
0: Whoa. Y'all need to make sure you do that. I'm just trying to get, it's so funny. I've been telling you great people uh, where to follow me and I gave you the wrong address. So what you need to first do is you need to do what she said. Y'all need to follow her, listen to those 81 episodes and the great thing about the podcast. You may not agree with everything, but you're definitely gonna come out of it learning something new and you will be inspired after you follow her. Go on over to Twitter, Follow lactic acid underscore underscore pod and then go on Instagram and follow lactic Acid Oh Pos- god, lactic acid podcast. The lactic acid is kicking in right now. And then you can find me on YouTube, follow the YouTube page where you can see the video, um, interviews, and then go on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm there. You can listen there. I want to thank the most gracious guest, Emma Zimmerman. I'm gonna call her Dr. Emma. coming on the show dropping some wisdom award-winning writer and the best is yet to come for her i hope to have her on in the near future but until then i want to thank you all for your listening your support and i will see you next time